Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromolo. Well, the NFL couldn't have delivered a better product for opening week of its 2018 season. The drama, several amazing finishes down to the wire, including a tie and a comeback for the ages, plus amazing performances by stars and future stars, showed why the NFL has been missed badly these past seven months and why it's so good to have it back. Now, we're on to week two, and once again, what better person can we have on the program to help me preview another fun week of pro football than my great friend, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, Hal? How you doing? David, I am doing great. It's a wonderful week having football back and so many games to watch and uh, all that excitement from week one. I am so excited to talk about it this week. Oh, absolutely. And before we get into some of the week two games, let's talk about our observations from week one. And my two biggest observations were the following. Um, At quarterback, we had stellar performances. Tom Brady and Drew Brees showed us that they still have a lot left in the tank. Brady at 41, still as strong as ever, and Drew Brees at 39, looking still as strong as ever, even in a losing effort. And Aaron Rodgers, what can we say about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, we we can say he had his version of the Michael Jordan flu game. Talk about a, a freak knee sprain in the first half that looked worse, and his reaction while being cut into the locker room looked ominous. He was uncertain if he'd be ever allowed to get back in the game, if not play again this season. But the second half, he said, oh, this is something I could play through. And he leads the Packers to like their first cover behind victory from 17 points down in the fourth quarter in franchise history. Aaron Rodgers continuing to add to his lore and continuing to solidify himself as one of the five best quarterbacks to play this game. But also look at the newbies that are playing quarterback. Pat Mahomes didn't look like a rookie at all in his second career start. Picking up where he left off in that week 17 performance against Denver, absolutely shredding that Chargers defense with the help of Tyreek Hill and Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, the youngest quarterback to ever start an NFL game at just 21 years in about 96 days against the Lions. He started off with the worst possible start with a pick six, a dangerous throw across his body that was taken to the house by um, Quandre Diggs. But talk about that short memory that guy has. After that, he immediately forgot it. He immediately put it aside and showed poise and strength and delivered 14 out of seven, his next 17 passes for nearly 200 yards and two touchdown passes. Sam Darnold, he looks like the next best thing. And finally, the answer that Jets fans have been looking for at quarterback. Oh my gosh, you said it, David. Those, uh, the veterans, the newbies, it was fantastic. And, and speaking of newbies, one of my takeaways as well was the new head coaches in the NFL who pitched a shutout in reverse zero and seven <laughs> tennessee oakland detroit arizona new york giants indianapolis chicago bears none of them picked up a win in their first game and so it was a tough week one to start out as a new head coach but all seven of those you knew there were going to be some growing pains and there certainly were on sunday oh there certainly were and another big takeaway i had uh, if they say the most important position in football is quarterback, the second most important position is quarterback disruptor. And 
Von Miller and Khalil Mack. Von Miller arguably had his best performance since his Super Bowl 50 MVP performance with three sacks of Russell Wilson, including a forced fumble and a fumble recovery on the same play where he just literally took the ball away from Chris Carson. It's like he stole his lunch money on the playground and Chris Carson didn't have a chance to fight back for it. And Khalil Mack said, hold my beer in his first performance as a Chicago Bear in that first half. A strip sack and a fumble recovery and a pick six and another sack that set up, he set up that other sack by Roquan Smith. Khalil Mack made his presence felt early and he didn't look like a guy that took a month off. And not only that, you got Miles Garrett with two sacks and a forced fumble. Miles Garrett gradually but certainly asserting himself in that upper echelon of NFL pass rushers and TJ Watt. In that same game with a four-sack performance at that block field goal to preserve the tie at the end. So you got Von Miller and Khalil Mack showing uh, why that they are the kings of edge rush in today's NFL. And Miles Garrett and maybe hopefully T.J. Watt uh, telling you that uh, they are on their way towards that level. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, by the fourth quarter, it looked like uh, there was another Watt that was starting to get his legs back underneath him as well and getting after the quarterback for the Houston Texans as J.J. Watt was uh, starting to look more like the vintage J.J. Watt as the game wore on. I also have to say, um, you know, we're looking at week one and all these playoff teams all of a sudden are starting off either 0-1 or, in the case of Pittsburgh, a 0-0-1 with that tie. But the Chargers, the Titans, the 49ers, the Lions, the Saints, the Texans, the Falcons, these are teams everyone talked up in the in the preseason as potential playoff teams. Now we're looking at 0-1, and all of a sudden – this is week two. Nobody wants to start out 0-2, and you've got Houston going up against Tennessee, San Francisco going up against Detroit. Are these must-win games in week two? Because it's hard. It's been done, but it's hard to go 0-2 and turn it around and make the playoffs these days. 90% of NFL teams per Justice Mosqueda of OptimumScouting.com who have started 0-2 have failed to make the playoffs. That's how big of a deal week two is if your team started 0-1. But let's start off by previewing a battle of 1-0s. And this was the hardest game for me to predict this week. The Minnesota Vikings traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. And based on what Aaron Rodgers said today at his press conference, he sounded like he is more likely than not going to play on Sunday, albeit at less than 100%. But as he showed not just last Sunday against the Bears, but in 2016, keep in mind, he played with a lower body injury that forced him to stay in the pocket more than he was used to. But he still turned in one of his most MVP-like performances ever, leading the Packers uh, from 3-5 and five to the NFC Championship despite playing less than 100%. And he sounded also that this is a knee sprain that he could definitely play through. And... Thus speaking, a wounded Aaron Rodgers is just as dangerous, if not even more dangerous, than a healthy Aaron Rodgers. If you are the Vikings defense, are you operating under the same assumption? Oh, definitely. I I think Rodgers sometimes, I mean, he's the best passer outside of the pocket. When he's moving around outside the pocket, extending plays, giving his receivers more time, there's no one better in the NFL. But sitting in the pocket, you know, 
forcing himself to sit there, let the rush come around him and step up. He's just as good as anybody else in the NFL there, too. And as we saw on Sunday against the Bears, keeping him in the pocket, he sees more of the field versus getting out to one, getting out, rolling to his right and limiting the field by half. So there is a danger in keeping him in the pocket. But that Minnesota pass rush is going to be coming at him and coming at him hard for sure. Oh, it most definitely is, and you could say it looked like Daniil Hunter has taken a major step forward as well in becoming one of the better edge rushers in the league. For sure, with him, and you know, when you had Sheldon Richardson with a strong game in the middle of that defensive line as well for Minnesota, I mean, it just seems like it's an embarrassment of riches there. You've got the Linval Joseph there stuffing up the middle, Hunter having a good game, Richardson having a good game, Everson Griffin coming from the outside. It's an embarrassment of riches on that defense. Oh, it most certainly is, but as Aaron Rodgers showed against the Bears on Sunday, that up-tempo attack does more to quiet down a pass rush than most anything does, and expect the Packers to go to that up-tempo attack early, and that up-tempo attack is much easier to play from within the pocket, so uh, like I said, a wounded Aaron Rodgers could be equally as dangerous as he has constantly shown throughout his career, so that pass rush is no sure thing against that no-huddle attack that we should expect the Packers to go to immediately. Exactly. And as great as that Minnesota offense is, you know, that defense could find itself in a track meet with Green Bay with so many weapons for Rodgers to get the ball to. Um, You know, you saw Jimmy Graham, what he started adding to that offense in the second half. You know what you have in Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. So it's if they can get any semblance of a running game in Green Bay to take a little bit of pressure off of the quarterback and slow that pass rush just a little, uh, this could be a higher scoring game than we're, lo- we're than we're expecting. Oh, it most definitely could. But when you look at this Vikings defense, another takeaway I had from watching their game against San Francisco is keep in mind, they were statistically the number one total defense in the league in 2017. I think they're even better this year. You mentioned adding Sheldon Richardson to give them more push up the middle in passing situations, but rookie Mike Hughes had an amazing game too, including a pick six and a couple of pass breakups as well. Yes, there was one play where he got beat, but he's a rookie. You should expect that. But Mike Hughes, I think, is already the second best corner on that team behind only Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith with that well-deserved Defensive Player of the Week performance by going under Big Earl Mitchell at the goal line despite that massive size difference, going under him to make the tackle on that goal line stand, and that game-sealing interception. Harrison Smith, he, in my opinion, is the best safety in football right now, even ahead of future Hall of Famer Earl Thomas. So this Vikings defense could be even better in 2018, and the fact that they're better on the back end than the Bears are uh, could be even more of a a challenge for Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. I don't know any defense in the NFL that goes as deep as the the Vikings do at the cornerback position. You're looking, they have, you brought up um, Mike Hughes, who had a great first game, Xavier Rhodes, who's one of the top cornerbacks in the league, but you've still got Trey Waynes back there and Mackenzie Alexander. That's four deep they can go. They can match up with any team, whoever they're throwing at them with pass catchers. And they, you know, there's no weakness there at that cornerback position in Minnesota. Yes, and one of the big matchups on Sunday 
is that Packers receiving core of Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. And don't forget Geronimo Allison, who caught that amazing pass from Aaron Rodgers in the end zone. Uh, Geronimo Allison's turned out to be a reliable target for Rodgers as well. Plus, Jimmy Graham going against that secondary, and the Vikings are gonna, going to need three, if not all of those four corners on Sunday to step up. But another potential matchup I'm watching is this. Today, Pat Elfline, the Vikings' uh, promising young center, he returned to practice today, albeit on a limited basis. And should Pat Elfline suit up on Sunday, how much will he help that Vikings' interior offensive line going against an underrated Packers defensive line with Mike Daniels and another burgeoning stud in Kenny Clark? Yeah, they're going to need him. Whether he's going to be up to full speed or not, um, that's going to be the question. I don't think Brett... Jones, anybody considers him a long-term answer there at center in Minnesota. And and like you said, that Green Bay defensive front, uh, Kenny Clark looked really good. Um, Mike Daniels, you know, I mean, Mo Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson's former teammate is across the way there in uh, Green Bay as well. So that's really um, a solid 3-4 front three there in Green Bay that is going to disrupt a lot of interior offensive lines this year. And for Minnesota, that's a battle they're going to have to win because that interior pressure is going to be the only way to stop that potent offense there led by Kirk Cousins. Oh, yes. And I'm sure you saw last week they had their hands full with DeForest Buckner, who I believe will be a household name by season's end. DeForest Buckner was easily the best player on the field for the 49ers last Sunday. Oh, without a doubt. He had a great game and was extremely disruptive there um, against taking advantage of that weakened offensive interior um, line of the Minnesota Vikings. So it will be very interesting to see that battle and who wins that because that's going to go a long way on whether this uh, is a game where the Vikings are, you know, putting up points and, and running uh, running up the score on Green Bay and attacking that young secondary or whether it's more to Green Bay's liking and it's a little bit closer and try to keep it close and see if Aaron Rodgers can pull it out at the end. Oh, totally. And another key element of Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark will be this. They're going to have to win those battles fast because you have to look for the Vikings and John Filippo to dial up some short passes to Dalvin Cook early and often. Without a doubt, that, that quick passing game is what's going to help. And the sooner you get the ball out of an injured Aaron Rodgers' hands, the sooner you frustrate that defense. Um, we saw it last week. Um, to an extent, you know, Tom Brady seems to do it all the time as well. And if Aaron Rodgers tries to model that quick strike attack, he could have a very effective game regardless of that great defense. That's how you're going to beat him is try to isolate in a one-on-one, get the ball out of your hands quickly to your playmakers in space and let them make plays against that defense. Oh, exactly. But I was talking about the Vikings. You should look for the Vikings to do that as well with those quick passes to Dalvin Cook. And that means Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark are going to have to win those battles fast before Cousins gets that ball out. And John Filippo has Cousins getting rid of that ball pretty damn fast, as we saw last Sunday. Certainly is. I think it's. I think you're looking at two teams that are both uh, dialing up the same game plan, and it's going to come down to who's going to execute that the best, and which defense is going to be able to, you know, make that disruption, make that key stop on third down, uh, to determine who's going to pull this game out. 
Oh, you couldn't have said it better there, Hale. But before we go to our prediction for this game, there is one other matchup I'm paying attention to, and that is this Vikings receiver core, two of the best route technicians in the game, Stephon Diggs, who absolutely made Richard Sherman look pedestrian a couple times last Sunday, if not for most of the game, and Adam Thielen. And that connection between Cousins and Adam Thielen um, took to a new level last Sunday against the 49ers, going up against that talented but young and inexperienced Packers secondary with Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, their two uh, rookies. So who do you think has the edge in that matchup? That's a tough one there because um, there is a lot of talent in that secondary for Green Bay. Um, I love Jair Alexander coming into this season. He had, you know, uh, looked overall very good uh, out on the field, Josh Jackson as well. But the experience and the talent of Minnesota with so many weapons, you know, you mentioned Cook coming out of the backfield. You've got Thielen, you've got Diggs, two high quality wide receivers that can run the entire route tree against anybody, and then slipping Kyle Rudolph off of the line as well. It's just an almost impossible matchup for teams, uh, and especially a young secondary. So I'm giving the edge there to the Minnesota Vikings receivings. Oh, I am too. And don't forget Laquan Treadwell. This is a make or break year for Laquan Treadwell. He made some nice catches last Sunday as well. So he presents a viable third option in that passing game for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, if Cousins can get Treadwell with all that talent that just hasn't been able to, for whatever reason, put it together the last two years. And if if he can do that and, and get that third option, this team just takes it up to another level. Oh, they most certainly do. And finally, let's go to our prediction for this NFC North clash and a potential NFC championship preview, dare I say, between the Vikings and the Packers. And this was easily the hardest game of the week for me to predict. Exactly. Exactly. Is it going to be low scoring? Is it going to be high scoring? Is the defense going to, the offense, it's almost impossible to predict. Oh, absolutely. And what makes it hard for me is that I predict the Vikings to win the Super Bowl this year, and I have a hard time betting against them. And at the same time, I have a hard time betting against Aaron Rodgers, especially a wounded Aaron Rodgers, because a wounded Aaron Rodgers is an Aaron Rodgers that plays at the highest possible level. Yes, you can uh, say all you want about that out-of-the-pocket and mobility being the hallmark of Aaron Rodgers' game, but it is criminally ignored that Aaron Rodgers is one of the most intelligent quarterbacks to ever play the game. He is the total package, and he is perfectly capable of playing a game limited to within the pocket. But I, at the end of the day, it is a team sport, and the Bears had enough roster deficiencies for the Packers to expose, especially on that defense and offense in the second half. The Vikings have a stronger roster to play Aaron Rodgers at his most highest level. It's going to be a very close game, and this is a flip of the coin. I am not going to be surprised either way, but I have the Vikings winning this game 27-24. to I'm thinking right around those same lines, David, as well. Um, this could very easily be a defensive struggle with both of, with Green Bay improvements on defense, and we know what the Minnesota Vikings defense can do. But I see it as a two gunslingers out there, and when you've got you know Kirk Cousins at the top of his his game and Aaron Rodgers mo- as you know back on the field, motivated, maybe not a hundred percent, but playing with that edge. I see it going back and forth and back and forth. And I'm just, again, like you had said, the depth of that Vikings 
both sides of the ball, defense and offense, giving them an edge early in the season here where conditioning is so important. And I'll take the Vikings 31 to 27 over the Packers. It should be the game of the week. And now moving on to what should be a very interesting game in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field where Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers need to get back on track against the red-hot Pat Mahomes, or as Lewis Riddick calls him, Ferrari Pat, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And when you look at this one compared to Packers-Vikings, which could go a million different ways, Chiefs-Steelers, this one has shootout written all over it. You got two high-powered offenses with weapons galore and two defenses that are very, very suspect. And if you are the Chiefs or Steelers, do you commit to using a run-first ball control offense from the get-go in order to keep your defense off the field for as long as possible? It's a it's a legitimate plan. Um, you know, the Chiefs really didn't run the ball that effective last week. Um, you know, I mean, you could almost say, you know, it was the Tyreek Hill show for the Chiefs. So, you know, 3.1 yards per rush for Kareem Hunt. That's not going to do it, uh, do the job here on Sunday. And for the Steelers, as well as they run the ball, you know, really, um, you know, you got to have Connors involved in the passing attack without Levy and Bell there. So the you might see a slow start as the both teams try that strategy early on, but I think by the second half you're going to see both teams uh, pure gunslinging out there, dropping back, firing the ball all over the field. And with two suspect secondaries, as I alluded to, like the Steelers and Chiefs, they might have two of the worst cornerback cores in the entire NFL, for crying out loud. So you should look for the Chiefs to use Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey to expose the, the absence of Ryan Chazier to expose those uh, advantages early on in the Steelers with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster going against uh, Orlando Skandrick and uh, David Amerson. Uh, God, uh, all their Chiefs corners aside from Kendall Fuller, they aren't good. So you should expect for them to exploit those mismatches early on. But as the game goes on, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these teams goes to a more ball-controlled offense in order to keep their defense off the field and prevent the other offense from touching it. It it definitely makes sense, David. It's hard to argue with that. And I think, you know, both teams will go into that with with that as the plan. But, boy, if somebody gets up a couple touchdowns early – you know, like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until you're punched in the mouth. And I think that's what's going to happen in this game as well. We're going to see them just throw off the shackles and um, turn it into a track meet. Yes, uh, track meet is the most likely outcome for this game, as I alluded to. And let's talk about Pat Mahomes for a second. He was very impressive in his uh, week one start, but at some point, even in this game, do you think some growing pains might rear their heads? I do. I really do. You know, um, I think the there, there's going to be a little bit of having to pump the brakes on Pat Mahomes. Yes, he made some amazing passes. There, there were some of those throws he made. My jaw just dropped watching those. But at the same time, he only completed 55% of his passes. And that's not a good enough number in the NFL. And he's going to have to have that spectacular, but also improve on that steadiness. And when he doesn't have that that steadiness, that's when teams aren't picking up the third downs on those short conversions, the third and four, not throwing to the stick, not uh, you know trying to take that shot 
downfield and make that spectacular play when it's not there, that's when young quarterbacks are going to get into trouble. And he still has a lot of growing pains to go through that. Um, and the other the other factor you have to take into the game as well is look at Kansas City last year like they did against the Patriots. When you give Andy Reid enough time to game plan, there's no one better in the NFL. But once you start limiting him to, you know, all right, Andy, it's Monday. You got to get that game plan in by Wednesday. You start to limit that. And there's only so many plays that they can run out for that week. And that's when the Chiefs start to level off a little bit on offense as well. So I think some kind of combination of that is what we're going to see in the coming weeks, um, pumping the brakes a little on Pat Mahomes. Oh, good point. And not to uh, take away further from Pat Mahomes, but a lot of those big plays the Chiefs made on Sunday were yardage after the catch plays and Tyree Kill, as was alluded to by Chris Wessling, another great football mind in NFL.com this morning. He thought that Tyree Kill was the MVP of that game and should have gotten the AFC Offensive Player of the Week award instead of Pat Mahomes. Uh, Tyreek Hill, is is he from this planet? He's like he's dropped out of a video game. He's just playing at a different speed than everybody else on that field. He is amazing, and with the improvements that he's made as a wide receiver – growing in that role and and uh, enhancing his wide receiving skills. You know, you can game plan to try to take him away, but eventually he's going to get the ball in space and make his plays. He is a beast out there. Oh, he most certainly is, and his speed is why they call him the cheetah. And when you look at the game-deciding matchup here, I think it's between the Chiefs' offensive line versus that Pittsburgh defensive line. Because if there is a strength on the Steelers' defense, it is that defensive front. That defensive line with Cameron Hayward and Stephon Tewitt and Javon Hargrave and... T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, who looked pretty good as well himself last Sunday against the Browns, coming off the edge. Uh, That is a potential matchup advantage for the Steelers. So in order for Pat Mahomes to be successful this week, uh, that Chiefs offensive line has to be up to the test against a very, very talented Pittsburgh front. That definitely does. And, you know, they've got a good pair of tackles on the outside in Eric Fisher, who took a while to get up to speed in the NFL for sure. Um, I wouldn't call him elite at left tackle, but he's more than solid. And Mitchell Schwartz, who toiled for years in Cleveland, um, you know, finally getting his chance on a on a good team here in Kansas City the past couple of years. Uh, they have to be on the top of their game because Pittsburgh showed last week they have a lot of pass rushing weapons. It's not just T.J. Watt. You know, you saw they've got Bud Dupree on the other side. You've got Cameron Hayward, who is one of those penetrating interior defensive uh, linemen there, the 3-4 defensive end that can get into the backfield and dis- disrupt any passing game so it, it'll be very interesting to see if that offensive line and particularly uh, Fisher and Schwartz can hold up against that Pittsburgh rush and and don't and you know you know Pittsburgh they're not going to hesitate if they're not getting there to to find a couple other guys to pull uh, whether it's coming from the safety position, the, the other linebackers. You'll see John Bostick had a sack last week as well. They, they don't hesitate to bring pass rushers. Oh, yes, and I don't expect them to hesitate a minute to blitz Pat Mahomes this week, even if it risks leaving one of his weapons open, because Mahomes, as great as he is and as great as I expect him to be eventually, he's still young and might struggle against those blitzes. So uh, what is your prediction for this game at Heinz Field? 
Um, I still think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think the Chiefs are going to be in it. You'll see a lot of trading uh, touchdowns back and forth. Um, another thing for Pat Mahomes is he's got to get that uh, Travis Kelsey involved in the game. That was something that uh, fell on the wayside was Travis Kelsey just one reception on six targets last week. So I think he'll get him a little bit more into the game plan, make a conscious effort. But I see the Steelers outlasting them. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game that comes down to whoever has the ball last. But I'll go Steelers 34, Chiefs 30. As much growing pains as we can expect from Pat Mahomes in this game, I am leaning towards the Chiefs in this game because there's something about Ben Roethlisberger that seemed off last week. He was throwing too many ill-advised passes. Uh, He threw two picks to Denzel Ward and another third one to uh, Demarius Randle on a miscommunication on a deep ball to Antonio Brown, but his accuracy just doesn't seem the same. And they say football as much as it's meant for the vets, it's even meant for guys who are younger and healthier and quicker. So that's why I have the Chiefs winning a very close shootout, 38-35. to But I wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh won either. It's another game that's pretty much a toss-up this week to predict. And moving on to the rematch of last year's AFC Championship, the Patriots traveling down to Duval to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars but they might as well rename that town Saxonville because that defensive front is still pressuring quarterbacks as good as ever. However, Pat Shermer and the New York Giants might have done the Patriots a favor last week in a losing effort to the Jaguars. The way they were able to scheme Odell Beckham Jr. across the formation, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was running free all game long, even against Jalen Ramsey. So, Would you expect the Patriots to use similar concepts that the Giants used last Sunday in order to free up their best receiving weapons like Gronkowski, Chris Hogan, Philip Dorsett, etc.? Definitely. With this Jacksonville defense, uh, again, like we had just talked about, it's a defense where that ball has to come out of the quarterback's hands in a hurry. And that's something that Tom Brady is excellent at. And Josh McDaniels, after that offense was stymied last year in the AFC Championship game for uh, two to three quarters to start the game, he's going to have a little better understanding and a little better scheming, I think, in order to get those weapons into the open field as quickly as possible with a quick strike attack. And, And if I'm the Patriots, I'm looking at Jacksonville's defense and I'm saying, spread them out, pick out your identify your one-on-one matchup you want before the ball snapped and go after them that way. And with Rex Burkhead now on the injury report with a concussion, don't even worry about running the football here. That's secondary against Jacksonville's front. Pick your targets, spread them out, and quick strike. And like you said, crossing patterns, rub routes across the middle. Find a way to get those playmakers with some separation and get the ball to them in a hurry. Oh, absolutely. And if there is a weakness to be exposed on this Jacksonville defense, it is that slot corner position. Uh, Aaron Colvin, who was a very underrated player for them, is now with the Houston Texans. And DJ Hayden now mans that slot corner position. And expect Bill Belichick to put Rob Gronkowski or Chris Hogan or Phil Dorsett in the slot on many given plays against uh, DJ Hayden. And expect Tom Brady to target DJ Hayden all game long. Wouldn't you say that? 
Oh, definitely. I, I, you know, if you've got AJ Boyer and uh, Jalen Ramsey on the outside, you know, that's when you're going to see those formations where the Patriots start sending out a fullback or wide receiver out wide, trying to get the cornerback to stay out there as a, uh, in, and have them just wasted on that play covering a decoy. You're going to see a lot of formations out of New England trying to dictate those matchups with, with, uh, with that secondary there and try to get, the the ball to whoever slot receiver um you know whoever's in the slot that can get a, a favorable matchup absolutely and you mentioned rex burkhead on the injury report with that concussion you have the running back course from both teams bagged up you got rex burkhead and sony michelle dealing with injuries and jeremy hill obviously out for the year with the toward acl and James White, the only healthy running back for the Patriots at the moment. And the Jaguars, Leonard Fournette, dealing with a hamstring. So TJ Eldon might have to start in his place, along with uh, Corey Grant uh, as that third down back. Do you think this game overall, not just from the Patriots' perspective, but from the Jaguars' perspective on offense as well, be more pass-heavy and high-scoring than we think as a result? I think it will. And I think that actually plays in Jacksonville's favor as well. Um, a lot of teams, for whatever reason, going against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, get it in their heads that we're going to run the ball. We're going to control the clock. We're going to keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. And, you know, Doug Peterson had the best strategy of anyone in that Super Bowl last year where he said, no, I'm going to take it to them just like they take it to anybody else. We're going to spread them out. We're going to run the different formations against them. We're going to put pressure on their defense, just like they do to everyone else. And, you know, that's the way to attack them is to be aggressive. And for Jacksonville, really having a receiving back like Yeldon and seeing what Corey Grant did against the Patriots in the first half before they made adjustments last year in that AFC championship game, not having Fournette may force them to be more aggressive in the passing game, which would be an advantage for them and probably help their uh, win probability on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Even with Blake Bortles, because getting those quick strike passes to guys like uh, T.J. Eldon or Corey Grant or Austin Safarian Jenkins on one of those Patriots linebackers. And as great as Dante Hightower and rookie Juwan Bentley are against the run, they're far from elite in pass coverage. So that is a matchup for the Jaguars to exploit in the passing game because the odds are T.J. Eldon and Corey Grant aren't going to beat those two linebackers on the ground. They're going to beat them through the air. That's a great point, David. And if there is a weakness for the for the Patriots, you you highlighted it there. They don't have a traditional linebacker who can cover running backs and tight ends out of the backfield. They put a lot of pressure uh, on their safeties to handle that. And you'll see that with Devin McCourty, um, you know, and those safety the other safeties that are out there, um, whether it's Deron Harmon or Patrick Chung trying to pick up those running backs and that's where those big plays can come against this defense because one pick from a wide receiver one rub um, can free up that running back out of the backfield for a huge gain and that's exactly what Philadelphia did in the Super Bowl and the Jaguars did last year with Corey Grant absolutely and how do you see this game playing out oh it's gonna be a close one and um, you know I think there's 
the Patriots, you saw it last week against Houston. That defensive line is a lot better than they were last year. They're not trotting out the corpse of James Harrison. There's no, um, you know, there's, there's pass rushers. Trey Flowers had seven pressures all by himself. Dietrich Wise Jr. had a sack and a half as the designated third rusher. Um, they didn't even have last year's top pick, third rounder Derek Rivers, dressed for the game. And Adrian Claiborne provided that consistent, steady pressure uh, from the on the right side, the left side of the defense. That was a a great addition that they definitely needed. So you're going to see it a little less scoring, I think, than you would expect. But I think the Patriots are going to pull this out just because some way or another, Blake Bortles is going to Blake Bortles this game. So Patriots 24, Jaguars 21. I have the Patriots winning in similar fashion, albeit by a score of 26 to 19. And before we continue, we want to remind you that Sports Crunch with DCROM is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics, and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. And now let's talk some fantasy football, my friend. In our Set My Lineup segment, this is from Brandon on Twitter at RunningPenguin1. And his quarterback's... I think this is a no-brainer. Roethlisberger and Foles, ride Roethlisberger at home, man. No-brainer. Oh, yeah. I mean, Foles, we don't know if that bubble burst or not after that Super Bowl run. Is it another Flacco situation? Go with Roethlisberger. Yes, and at running back, I think this is an easy decision. He has Alvin Kamara, Lamar Miller, Rashad Petty, Jordan Wilkins. Alvin Kamara and Lamar Miller have to be your starters hands down. Both are going to get the ball a ton this week. Exactly. Both are going to get the ball. Both are going to be catching passes. That's going to increase their opportunity for touchdowns inside the red zone. Slam dunk for those two. And a little more difficult decision for Brandon at wide receiver. You have A.J. Green. I think you have to lock him in at one of those two wide receiver spots. You got Corey Davis, Marquise Goodwin, who might not play this week, Michael Gallup in a crowded wide receiver by committee, and Mike Williams. But given the uncertainty with Goodwin and the mystery that is Gallup and Mike Williams, or the mysteries that are Michael Gallup and Mike Williams, I think you have to have Corey Davis in that second receiver spot behind A.J. Green. And with Delaney Walker out, you can expect Corey Davis's target numbers to rise rather significantly. Oh, definitely. Corey Davis, you know, uh, very solid week one performance. The You could almost say all of those rookie wide receivers from the first round last year that looked like a huge bust last year are busting out in year two now that they're all healthy and integrated into that system. So definitely A.J. Green, Corey Davis uh, locked them in as the top two wide receivers. And an interesting choice away to tight end. You got Zach Ertz, albeit with Nick Foles, who has probably turned back into a pumpkin. And Austin Safaria Jacobs, who the Jaguars might be counting on more than they expect on Sunday, especially if Leonard Fournette doesn't play, as we just talked about. Zach Ertz or Austin Safaria Jacobs at tight end for Brandon? 
it's really tough to to bench Ertz. You know, he had his targets, but you know, didn't didn't catch a touchdown, didn't um, do a lot with the ball uh, after he caught it. And part of that is that swarming Atlanta defense as well. But Safarian Jenkins has played really well against the Patriots in the past when he was with the Jets, and you know, um, well, he had that that catch non catch as well, which robbed him of a touchdown as well. But um, I might be lean, playing the matchups there and leaning towards Safarian Jenkins um, as much as it seems crazy to to put Ertz on the bench. Oh, absolutely, and plus Zach Ertz is going to be matched up against Levante David and Quan Alexander, two linebackers that are known for their ability to cover tight ends, and the Patriots don't have such a linebacker to do so. So that's why Austin Safari Jenkins just might be the smarter play here. And let's talk about it, Flex. And let's assume uh, for, for the moment, but Brandon, if uh, you can flex somebody, we would recommend you flex the other tight end. But let's take a look at these other options in case you cannot. Uh, you got Rashad Penny. I'm still not big on him from a fantasy perspective. Jordan Wilkins, he had like 60 total yards last week. He might be a good option. And Mike Williams and Michael Gallup, I do not want to play at the moment. But if Marquise Goodwin does play, I think you got to go Marquise Goodwin at flex. But if not, uh, would you go Jordan Wilkins ahead of Rashad Penny? Oh, definitely. Definitely would there. No doubt about that. Um, Penny, I think there's just too much, too, not enough opportunities on the field, a little bit of growing pains that he's going to have to go through. And, and Goodwin, if he's healthy and playing, he was the top target for Jimmy Garoppolo last year. And Garoppolo looked a little lost when he wasn't on the field in week one as well. So uh, if Goodwin plays, I think you got to play Goodwin. I think you do as well. And in fantasy football, your draft is only 25% of the process, as they say. It's how you manage your roster in season that will take you to the championship. And that's why we are proud to introduce the waiver wire segment of our weekly episodes here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. And in this segment... I will mention some hot names on the waiver wire, and Hal, your job is to tell me whether you buy them or sell them and why. Starting with Quincy Inunwa, the wide receiver from the Jets. Buy or sell? Oh, he's a buy. He got 10 targets. Sam Darnold loves him, and he's going to keep feeding him. I completely agree. Quincy Inunwa just might be the receiver to own on the New York Jets in your fantasy leagues. Philip Dorsett, a wide receiver that Tom Brady appears to be trusting a lot more. Yeah, I mean, he's got limited options out there at wide receiver. And until Julian Edelman's back in week five, I'm high on Dorsett for the at least the first four weeks of the season. And to that loaded, red-hot Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense with Chris Godwin. And hang on, let me get these numbers here from Evan Silva of rotoworld.com. In like only three or four games uh, of Chris Godwin's career, he has produced very, very well. And now you got uh, Deshaun Watson on the shelf with a shoulder injury and with a concussion, as was just um, revealed today. And Chris Godwin, in the four career games that he's played, he's gone five receptions for 68 yards in one, three for 98 in the other, seven for 111 and a touchdown in the third, and last week, three receptions for 41 yards and a touchdown. Buy or sell Chris Godwin. I think I'm buying him. Oh, you with the injuries to Jackson, you definitely have to be buying Godwin this week. Definitely. 
Oh, absolutely. And especially in a Buccaneers offense that is just scratching the surface of its potential with all those weapons. All those weapons can really support whoever is playing quarterback for them. And now moving on to the Mile High City with Philip Lindsay, who delivered a Rookie of the Week caliber performance by carrying the ball 50 times for 71 yards and also adding a 29-yard touchdown reception. Philip Lindsay, buy or sell? I'm a buy on Lindsay. Uh, PPR League especially, he can contribute catching the ball out of the backfield. He looked like he's a potential lead back in Denver going forward. Oh, absolutely. He's like another Deion Lewis to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very, very similar skill set to Deion Lewis and Chris Thompson, those kind of players. And if you're looking for a kind of player who is not named Chris Thompson or Deion Lewis on your PPR roster, it is Philip Lindsay. Jared Cook, who exploded against the Rams for 180 yards. Uh, he might be Derek Carr's best friend this year. Yeah, um, you know, if the Rams had a weakness, it was the linebacker position on that defense. And I, I've got to see more of Jared Cook. I'm not into a buy mode on him. I think if you've got him, sell him while he's high. Oh, very good point, and especially when that schedule lightens up, especially against corners for the Raiders, I expect John Gruden to call Amari Cooper's number much more often. And another tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones of the Arizona Cardinals, a team that looks like it's going to be playing from behind a lot and behind a subpar offensive line, whether it's Sam Bradford or Josh Rosen throwing the ball, their best friend is going to be the tight end. Do you buy or sell Ricky Seals-Jones? I buy him, and especially this week, because just like Jared Cook did last week, Seals Jones could have a big game against those Rams linebackers in week two. He most certainly can. And now let's move on to our rapid-fire predictions, in which we predict the rest of these week two matchups as quickly as possible, starting with tonight's matchup between the Ravens and the Bengals. The Ravens exploded out of the gate for a 47-7 win, albeit against the Buffalo Bills. And the Cincinnati Bengals, their young offensive weapon, showed immense promise, albeit against a horrible Indianapolis Colts defense. But if I had to bet on the sure thing, it would be the Ravens defense. I am taking the Ravens in this game, 17-13. Oh, call me a sucker. I still believe in Andy Dalton. And I think with that offensive line shored up a little, it'll do just enough for Cincinnati to pull out a close 21-20 win. The Miami Dolphins coming off a win in the longest game in NFL history, uh, traveling to the Meadowlands to take on the Jets at MetLife Stadium. I'm still on the Sam Darnold trade. I think the Jets uh, start off the year 2-0. Uh, I'm with you on this one, David. I think it's a uh, close game. Jets winning it 19-13, to but... Oh my God, I love that Jets defense and especially that secondary. Oh, Jamal Adams is going to be a stud and he should be a household name by year's end, folks. And the Chargers without Joey Bosa coming off a loss against the Chiefs. I think they get the exact medicine they wanted, traveling to Buffalo to take on the Bills and Josh Allen, who is being trotted out way too soon. Even without Joey Bosa, I think Josh Allen gets murdered in this game dare I say, and the Chargers just run away in Buffalo 31 to 10. I agree with you. Look for the Bills to be stampeded. I have it 38 to 13 for the Chargers. And moving on to an NFC South clash, the Carolina Panthers 
going to face the Atlanta Falcons. And if there was a big loser from week one, it was the Falcons. Not only did they lose again in heartbreaking fashion to the Eagles, they lost arguably their two best defensive players for a long period of time. They lost Keanu Neal for the season to an ACL tear, and Deion Jones is going on injured reserve with a designation to return later in the year with a foot injury. Uh, this game looked hard to predict, but what, once I saw that Deion Jones got hurt and shelved as well, I think I got to go with the Panthers in this one. It's going to be an ugly, relatively low scoring game, but I still have the Panthers 20 to 16. I just do not trust Steve Starkeesian. Yeah, I mean, that red zone offense, you figured they were working on it all training camp, and that was the best they could do in week one. And Neal and Jones are, are the heart of that defense there in Atlanta. So uh, I've got it at low scoring as well. Carolina 17, Atlanta 14. Indeed. And you have the Eagles traveling to Tampa to take on the red hot Buccaneers led by Ryan Fitzpatrick. God, who thought we'd be saying that this week? Oh my God! I, I I had I had the Buccaneers losing every game until Winston came back. So, <laughs> color me wrong on that call. Absolutely, and this is my upset special of the week. I am taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this game. Dirk Cutter is coaching for his job, and he is coaching like it, and his players are playing like it. Turning over the offensive play calling to Todd Markin. Todd Markin is getting the most out of these abundance of skill weapons with. Chris Godwin to go along with Mike Evans. Now you got O.J. Howard. Peyton Barber also had a good game as well. And I think the Fitzmagic continues even against this super talented Eagles defense. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning thanks to some turnovers by their defense against Nick Foles that set up the offense in a short field by a score of 24-16. to Wow, I like that call, David. Um, oh, the... Just too many weapons on offense for Philadelphia. I still don't trust the Tampa Bay defense. And as much as I believe in Fitz magic, I have Philadelphia in a high-scoring game winning it 31-27. to Ooh, very, very interesting. Man, that uh, Nelson Aguilar could have a good game as the Bucks lost their slot corner, Vernon Hargraves, for the season due to a shoulder injury. The New Orleans Saints, they need to bounce back, and they host a team that got robbed by the football gods yet again in Week 1, the Cleveland Browns. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than many think. Oh, definitely. I think that Saints defense that looked like it turned a corner last year has taken about three steps backwards and needs to find a pass rush somewhere in a hurry. Oh, absolutely. And it's not going to get any easier, even against Tyrod Taylor throwing to those weapons with Josh Gordon now back and Jarvis Landry also had a good game and David Njoku as well at tight end as long as he could catch the ball and that Browns defensive front with Miles Garrett and underrated rookie Jannard Avery who had an amazing game against the Steelers it's going to be a very tough challenge for the Saints but I think the Saints bounce back and win albeit a close one 28 to 24. Yeah, I have it close as well. I even think this one could go into overtime for Cleveland again, but no ties this week. So I have New Orleans being able to score in overtime and winning it 23-20. to The Indianapolis Colts traveling to D.C. to take on the Redskins and Adrian Peterson, who still looks like he has quite a bit of juice left in the tank. Uh, and But what really stood out, for the Redskins on to Sunday was that defense. They have one of the most underrated fronts of the league with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen as the down lineman. And you got Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith coming off the edge. This is a ferocious front and that young Colts offensive line, even the 
the great Quentin Nelson had trouble with that Bagels interior defensive line last week, and they're going to struggle again. And Alex Smith and Avery Peterson and the ground game keep Andrew Luck off the field, and that defense does the rest, leading the Redskins to a pretty easy win by a final score of 27-17. to yeah, I, I'm on the Washington train as well. That defense looked really good. And if everybody stays healthy on offense, if they can keep Thompson on the field, um, you know, and a couple other key players on offense, they should be in position to make a little bit of noise and make a run for a wild card. And I think Andrew Luck will keep it a little bit closer, but I have it 24-21 for Washington. The Houston Texans traveling to Music City to take on the Titans. It's going to be a teacher against pupil with Bill O'Brien coaching against Mike Vrabel. I think the Houston Texans bounce back in this game. As you said, J.J. Watt started looking like his old self in, in that game, and the Titans' interior offensive line is suspect. I don't think they'll be able to handle him. J.J. Watt takes another step forward this week, as does Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson still not quite 100%, but against a Titans defense that is banged up. They're missing the best pass rusher on their roster, which is their rookie, Harold Landry. He still looks like he's not going to play this week. And a depleted Titans offense and a less than 100% Marcus Mariota. The Texans get back on track, and they win this game by a final score of 28-14. to Yeah, mine's pretty close to that, and uh, right along those same lines. I have Houston 24, Tennessee 16. The Detroit Lions, who had a worse week than the Detroit Lions? You could say the Chicago Bears all you want, but the Detroit Lions absolutely showed nothing to be optimistic about to their fan base. They just looked unprepared and flat out were clobbered by the New York Jets in embarrassing fashion in the debut of Matt Patricia. And I just don't trust this defense against Kyle Shanahan. They have absolutely no pass rush and... Yes, they have Darius Slay and Glover Quinn in that secondary, but even the best defensive backs will tell you you're only as good as the guys up front, and the Lions don't have anybody up front. And I believe that Kyle Shanahan will be able to exploit that with his masterful uh, scheming and game planning. Uh, Matthew Stafford does have a better game this week, but I have the 49ers pulling it out in a closer game by a final score of 31-24. to Ooh, that is... I have it close as well, but... Uh, I'm going to say Matt Patricia is going to get it turned around a little bit. If anybody knows uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's tendencies, it's going to be Matt Patricia, who's watched him at practice for three years every day. So I say Detroit bounces back on the road with a 24-20 to win over San Francisco. Oh, very, very good point there, Hal. And you got the Oakland Raiders traveling to the Mile High City to take on the Broncos. I think the Raiders actually cover the spread here, but I think the Broncos are going to be too much. The Raiders have a Stone Age, Donald Penn at right tackle, and Colton Miller, a very raw rookie at left tackle. Von Miller and Bradley Chubb are absolutely going to eat in this game. Yes, Jared Cook and going against that suspect middle of the Broncos defense will have another good week, but as long as Case Keenum takes care of the football, the Broncos should win this game, and I have them winning 20-17. to yeah, I don't even think it'll be that close. I think this is a, a train wreck coming down the road for Oakland, and um, Denver wins it pretty handily, 27-13. to 13. Uh, Another potential train wreck in the Arizona Cardinals traveling to the Coliseum to face the Super Bowl contending Los Angeles Rams, and I think this is a blowout. Uh, the Rams, I believe, win another easy one, 35-14. 
Yep, they're going to be feeding the Cardinals to the uh, Lions at the Coliseum for sure. 31-16 Rams over Arizona. The Sunday night football tilt is an NFC East battle between the Giants and the Cowboys. And, ugh, this is another tough game to pick. It looks like a craptacular affair awaits us on Sunday night football this week. The New York Giants with Eli Manning. Oh, God. If he had just connected with Odell Beckham on two of those throws where he was wide open, the Giants would have won last week. Eli Manning. Looks like he is indeed on the steady decline, as we all expected, but so is Dak Prescott. When all those offensive linemen got injured last year, his weaknesses started getting exposed. Now, with uh, Travis Frederick likely missing the entire year to, due to Guillaume Murray syndrome and Tyron Smith uh, on the decline as well, Dak Prescott has been exposed I don't think he'll ever be a franchise quarterback. He looks lost in the pocket when he has no protection and without any receiving weapons to help him. He just doesn't know what to do. And that is why, at the end of the day, it's going to be an ugly low-scoring game, but I trust the Giants and Eli Manning and all those weapons he has to make more plays than the Cowboys in order to win this game. David, I remember during the draft when you had your Facebook Live going, and as soon as the Giants picked Saquon Barkley, I had to run out and run to the computer and say to you, David, they screwed up. They should have drafted Sam Darnold. What were the Giants thinking? Oh my God! Um, but, <laughs> and I think the, the rest of the national media seems to be coming around to that point after Week One now. So. Um, I, I do. This is going to be a stinker. There's no doubt about it. I flipped the coin. It came up tails. So I'm going to say Dallas pulls out a close, ugly game, 16 to 13. And another close, albeit more entertaining game awaits us on Monday night in the Windy City where Khalil Mack and the Bears welcome Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Both teams coming off of heartbreaking losses in week one. Ah. This one is a very hard game for me to predict. I expect Khalil Mack to have another excellent game going against Jermaine Effetti, who was absolutely abused by Von Miller. We can't expect it to be any different against Khalil Mack, can we? Not really. You're talking about the two best pass rushers in the NFL there, back-to-back for Seattle. That's brutal, Ed. If there is a weakness to Russell Wilson's game, it is his pocket presence. He panics too much under pressure, and I think he's going to panic quite a bit on Monday night, but... Mitch Trubisky panics under pressure even more, as you alluded to last week, and that was evident on Sunday night. And I just think it's going to come down to which quarterback makes the fewest mistakes in this game, and I trust that to be Russell Wilson, and I think the Seahawks come away in ugly fashion 20-17. to That's almost exactly the same way I see it there as well, David. I agree with you 100%. It'll be, you know, Trubisky with a costly turnover in the fourth quarter, and Seattle takes it 24-21. to And now let's move on to our bold predictions for week two. And for me, this week it is this, and I'm not sure if it's quite bold. I want you to double check for me, Hal. The New York Jets and Sam Darnold will post another 40-burger against the Miami Dolphins. Oh, that's bold for sure. Yeah, I'm just a big believer in Sam Darnold, and I think he is going to expose the weaknesses in that Dolphins defense that Marcus Mariota could not. What about you, Hal? So I've got a couple of bold predictions here. Uh, One of them is Sam Darnold, so I'm going to start with that. I'm going to say Sam Darnold has a little growing pains here in week two after listening to all that hype about him, turns the ball over four times against Miami, and the Jets still win the game. 
Ooh, that is interesting, but Case Keenum turned it over three times, and the Broncos still won against the Seahawks, and Sam Darnold can probably, possibly get away with that against the Dolphins, uh, dare I say, given the caliber of opponent the Dolphins are. So, variable prediction there, Hal. And last but not least, let's issue our challenge flags for the week. My challenge flag goes to the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers. Your red zone offenses are abysmal. Why wasn't Julio Jones on the field in that on that first drive in, during the goal-to-go situation, Steve Sarkeesian? Why do you call predictable formations that let the defense know whether you're going to run or pass the ball? Steve Sarkeesian, what are you thinking? Steve Sarkeesian, you have to have this Falcons offense scoring touchdowns in the red zone ASAP or you are going to be fired midseason. And the same for you, Kyle Shanahan, although your job is, a, is much safer, Jimmy Garoppolo and the underrated weapons he has, dare I say, George Kittle is turning out to be a very, very, very good tight end for you. You got Marquis Goodwin went healthy. Uh, he and Garoppolo have a natural connection, and rookie Dante Pettis also looks promising. With all those weapons you have, plus Alfred Morris running the ball and M- Matt Breed in the passing game, you have more than enough to start converting in the red zone. So 48 hours in Falcons, red zone offense, start cashing in and scoring touchdowns. Ooh, very good, David. I like that. My challenge flag is going to the 53 players on the Cleveland Browns roster. Cleveland Brown players, find a way, overcome your coaching staff's inadequacies, and find a way to win a game very soon. Forget the ties. All of a sudden, looking at that Cleveland Browns schedule coming up, the Jets, the Bucks, the Bengals, the Ravens, the Broncos, those don't look like winnable, easy games anymore for Cleveland. Now I'm looking at their schedule and saying, well, they got the Raiders in week four. But other than that, I mean, if you're going to leave this in the hands of Hugh Jackson, you're looking at a 114 and one season here. So 53 players on the Cleveland Browns. I trust Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator. I don't trust Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator. Hugh Jackson, get him out of Cleveland. Players, put it on yourselves and do it yourselves. Overcome that coaching staff and pull out some W's here soon. Oh, excellent, Hal, and I completely agree. Go do it, Cleveland Browns. Hal, it's always a pleasure having you on the program, and let's do it again next week. I am ready for it, David. Let's have a great week of football here, and I'll talk to you next week. Here's to a great week, too, indeed, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week for week three, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal Bent. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromlow saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.